Genesis chapter 5. Just some basic things tonight, some reminders, as I realize this is February, but, you know, thought about this a little earlier, but didn't seem to work out that way, but beginning of the year, just reminders of things that that we need as individuals to be continuing to do um, in our, so that we maintain our walk in the Lord. Uh, Galatians, or Genesis chapter 5 and verses uh, uh, 22 through 25, 22 and 23 says, And Enoch walked with God after he begot Methuselah 300 years and begot sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. So how can I walk with God? That's the question tonight, title of the message. How can I walk with God? Um, you know, I don't know, maybe you, like me, have wondered at times about um, what, what makes some Christians seem to be so consistent and successful and others go like this. Um, you know, of course, you can read about the saints of old, uh, you know, Moses and Abraham and, and all the heroes, almost all the heroes of the faith had their ups and they had their downs. Uh, Moses smote the rock twice instead of speaking to it. He disobeyed God. Abraham, of course, went down into Egypt, lied about his wife. Then he went down to Abimelech, again, lied about his wife. Uh, and, and these are, you know, and Abraham was called the man, uh, a friend of God. Moses was, 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 it was said of him that, that a prophet like unto me, Moses said under inspiration, will the Lord God raise up and him shall you hear, speaking about Christ. You know, there were those who nothing, almost nothing negative is recorded about. Joseph, Daniel, that had seemingly impeccable Testimonies. Um, yes, they had their trials and their tribulations, and yet seemed to be without fault. So, what's what's the secret to walking with God? You know, God wants us and desires that we walk with Him. That's His will. So, how can we? You know, a lot of it is sort of like keeping your car running. It's just simple maintenance. I always, you know, I've told my children, my kids, they're not goats, but they are my children. Anyway, uh, I've always told them, you know, keeping your car for a good long period of time is 90% maintenance. Now, I like Chevys. Sorry for those of you who like Fords. We almost kicked one somebody out of our family because he bought a Ford. But, but I like Chevys. But, but whatever you buy, 90% of it, I would say, is maintenance. It's maintenance. Uh, and the same is true in our Christian life. If, if we're going to walk with the Lord, if we're going to be a success, it's, it's a lot of maintenance. It's, it's simple as that. So, uh, in, 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 in our church covenant, in our church covenant, 
one paragraph, the third paragraph says this. Moreover, we also come to maintain family and personal devotions to perform the religious education of our children, to seek the salvation of our kindred and acquaintances, to walk circumspectly in the world, to abstain from fleshly lusts and every appearance of evil, to be just in our dealings, exemplary in our manner of life, to be honest and true to our word, to avoid tattling, backbiting, ungodly anger, and so on and so forth. But again, we covenant to maintain. So a lot of it is just plain maintenance. But I want to give you five things tonight that must be evident in our life or need to be uh, in our life if we're going to ha- uh, walk with the Lord. First of all, it goes without saying you must be saved. If you're going to walk with God, you have to know the Lord is your Lord and Savior. Uh, you know, this chapter in the book of Genesis is about people being born and people dying. You know, you, you read this. Um, Verse, verse uh, uh, 4, 5, And all the days of Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. And Seth lived 105 years and begot Enos. And Seth lived after he begot Enos 807 years and begot sons and daughters. All the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. So they were born, they begot sons and daughters, and they died. They were born, they died. They born, they died. We're all going to die. We're all going to leave this life. And we need to be prepared for the next life. And, and so, you know, Jesus told Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. So, but if, so it goes without saying that if you're going to walk with God, you must know the Lord as your Lord and as your Savior. Uh, you must know him uh, in, in, in salvation. And secondly, if you're going to walk with God, there must be a study of the word. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, To study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the, the, counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of his Lord. A law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he should be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth fruit fruit in his season, his leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The Lord told Joshua in Joshua 1.8, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Day and night. So if you want to have success as a Christian, if you want to walk the Lord, there must be some time spent in the word of God. You know, D.L. Moody was a great revivalist or evangelist, but D.L. Moody said there will not be another great revival until Christians get back to the study of the Word. Uh, and again, and I've often said this, that our time in the Word is the key to maintaining our walk with the Lord, whether it's through hearing the Word of God preached or spending that personal time. We need both. We need both. What you get here isn't enough. You need time spent in the Word of God yourself. Uh, you know, the Word of God will do many things for you. Uh, Psalm 119, verse 19 says, It'll cleanse us. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. It'll give us victory over sin. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Uh, if you want liberty or uh, 
freedom to walk with the Lord, to live victorious over sin. That's what liberty really is in the Bible. It's living victorious over sin. It's not being in bondage to sin. It's not. It, you know, a lot of people have have have, have misunderstand what liberty, Christian liberty, is. They think it's a license to sin, or live any way you want to. No, that's not liberty. Liberty is the freedom to live victorious, uh, walking with the Lord. Uh, and, and in verse 45 of Psalm 119 says, And I will walk at liberty, for I seek thy precepts. Uh, it will give you comfort. Verse 50, This is my comfort and my affliction, for thy word hath quickened me. It will give you direction for life. Verse 105, The word is a lamp unto my feet, and a light unto my path. It will give you understanding in the, in the meaning of life. Verse 130, the entrance of thy words giveth light, it giveth understanding unto the simple. It'll give you great peace. Verse 165, great peace have they that love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. It'll give you wisdom. Verse 98, thou through thy commandments hast made me wiser than mine enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients because I keep thy precepts. Now, when he says, I have more understanding than all my teachers, David didn't say, wasn't saying bragging about the fact that he was smarter than all his teachers were. He learned from his teachers, but God added to that. He took what the teachers taught him and, and increased it. A wise man will increase learning, you know. We'll hear and increase learning. So he said, I understand more because I keep thy precepts. I have refrained my feet from every evil way, keeping him from evil, that I might keep thy word. So, so again, uh, God, the Word of God will do all these things for you. And you know, sometimes you hear people say, I just wish I had more faith. You know, it's really, really simple, yet very profound. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. You know, Job was a man of great faith. He persevered, he endured under severe trial. But Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. And Job also said, I esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. So it's important that we spend time in the word of God. You know, Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is quick and powerful. I mean, it's life-giving, it's life-changing. And you'll find that if you spend, start spending more time in the Word of God, it's going to change you. It's automatic. I remember there was a, I was at a preacher's fellowship in Altoona, Pennsylvania years ago. There was a missionary from Mexico there by the name of uh, Ron Hall. And uh, anyway, he was telling us about uh, the power. He's talking about the power of the Word of God and, and the effect that it has on people. And he had this lady, I think she was a single mom, who had this teenage boy that was beginning to give her, give her problems and and uh, and different things. So she she asked him if if he she could help if he could help him. And so uh, uh, he began to counsel him, and he put him on a scripture memory program. And he said it was a couple months later. His mother came to him and said, uh, "What did you do to my son? He's different. He's changed." And he said, "It's the word of God. See, the word of God will change you." The old saying is, this book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. You know, they say an apple a day will keep the doctor away. Well, the Bible every day will keep the devil away. 
So there needs to be a study of the Word of God. Again, maintain family and personal devotions. You know, are you reading the Bible every day? You know, I would say that if you're 13, 14, or older, you ought to be able to read the Bible in a year. You say, Pastor, that's a lot. No, it's not. There's only, there's only a thousand, I think it's 1,089 chapters in the Bible. So, less than three a day, I think, would do it, wouldn't it? Around three a day. Uh, it can be done. You realize the Bible can be read in 45 hours? You say, come on now. Well, you know, I never did that. But... Uh, I was reading an article one time where this, this guy said it could be read in 60 hours, and he was challenge, he was talking to a lawyer or something, I forget who it was, you know, they gave the guy's name anyway, and, and he said, no, it can't be. He said, well, prove me wrong. And he said, he did. He read it in 45. Uh, you know, so, so it's really not that long. You know, we read other books in short periods of time. Why can't we read the Bible? The Bible is vital Spending time in the Word of God daily is vital to our walk with the Lord, to maintain our walk with the Lord. Uh, thirdly, there must be, and I begin all these with a the letter S, so make it easier, supplication or prayer. Ephesians 6.18 tells us that uh, uh, Paul there, uh, in the passage he's talking about the, the armor of God, and then says, Verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So, so we need to, to, to read and study the Word of God, but we need to commune with God through the avenue of prayer. The psalmist said in Psalm 55, 17, Evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. And Daniel was one who was an example of doing just that. The Bible tells us in Daniel 6.10 that Daniel went to his house and three times a day opened his windows and prayed toward Jerusalem, evening and morning and at noon. You know, Luke 18.1 says, Men ought always to pray and not faint. James 5.17, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And Paul in... Uh, um, 1 Timothy 2 commands us that we are to pray. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. So, so God commands us that we ought to be people of prayer. Bring our supplications and our requests and our thanksgiving before uh, uh, our God. Uh, he invites us in Hebrews 4.16, Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know, God is our help. He's our strength. Uh, and, and so we need, to, we need to go to him in prayer. Uh, as Timothy tells us here, uh, praying for, for kings and for all that are in authority. You know, I have to wonder if a lot more people prayed for our, our nation's leaders if it would change some things. 
and for all that are in authority. And, and so that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life. Uh, and so, you know, first, somebody, so I heard a preacher say this one time. He said, you know, the Bible doesn't command us anywhere to preach without ceasing, or sing without ceasing, or witness without ceasing, but does command us to pray without ceasing. Um, so we need to be people of prayer, uh, of supplication. And then fourthly, there needs to be good singing or good music. Go over to Ephesians 5 and verse 19. <clears throat> Ephesians 5, 19. Martin Luther, who of course was a reformer, said this, and I quote, Next to the word of God, the noble art of music is the greatest treasure in this world. It controls our thoughts, minds, hearts, and spirits. Now, Ephesians 5, 18 says, Be not drunk with wine where is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. And then uh, again, Colossians 3, 16 and 17. Keep your place here in Ephesians. We'll come back to that in a minute. But Colossians 3, 16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns. So our, our songs are to teach and to admonish, to warn one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by, by Him. And so our music, our songs, should, should please and honor the Lord. They ought to teach right doctrine. They ought to teach right conduct. It says, whatsoever you do, do in the name of the Lord Jesus. Uh, I remember hearing a song years ago. Uh, it was a country western song. It, it went something like this. If loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right. Now how are you going to sing that? Pleasing the Lord. Uh, you know, music, again, music has a powerful effect on our minds and our, on our life. Uh, go to 1 Samuel 16. 1 Samuel 16. We see an example of this in the life of King Saul. 1 Samuel 16. Verse 14. says, But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. Verse 23. And it came to pass, when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul, that David took an harp. And played with his hand. So Saul was refreshed. And was well. And the evil spirit departed from him. So it simply says that, that David played with his hand. It doesn't say anything about him singing. He just played with his hand. And Saul was refreshed. In other words he was well physically. Uh, and it says he was well. Emotionally. It cheered him emotionally. Uh, and this evil spirit departed from him. So it affected his body, his soul, and his spirit for good. It, it completely changed his whole outlook on life, his whole attitude, his demeanor. 
Simply, David played with his hand. And so, we needed to fill our minds with godly music. Good godly music. You know, a lot of music today has the name God in it, but it's not good. Uh, just because it has the name God doesn't mean it's good. There's an interesting statement in Ephesians 5:19. I told you I was going to come back to this. It says, Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Now, I'm not a, I'm not a musician, uh, but music has three parts. Melody, harmony, and rhythm. And every honest musician will tell you that those three parts are to be that in that order. Melody is prominent, harmony is secondary, rhythm is least. Now rock music is almost all rhythm. You know, the devil always reverses or imitates things that God does. And rock music is almost completely all rhythm. That's why it about shatters your car windows when you drive by somebody that is trying to play their music for the whole world to hear. Because um, it's almost all rhythm. And the only people, really, the only people that I've, I've read a few books on this, the only people that I've read about that deny this are contemporary Christian musicians who try to justify putting more rhythm in their music because it has the name God in it. Well, I always said contemporary Christian music is no more Christian than the man that's going to heaven because he was baptized by pouring some water on his head when he was a baby. Um, no, we're not to mix the things of this world with the things of God. It always brings the judgment of God. Always. A good example of that is David using a worldly method to try and move the ark. Remember how David, just read about this the other day, David wanted to bring the ark up to Jerusalem. And, and, and he prepared a place for it. It's a good thing. It's a right thing to do. So he, he gets some of the priests and they go down to the house of a, 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 was a, a, a Benadab, I think. Anyway, and they get a brand new cart and a new yoke of oxen. I mean, this would have been the, 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 a 2017 GMC 2500 four-wheel drive, you know, chrome wheels and all of it. Right out of the, right out of the, out of the uh, factory. Never been driven. Never hold anything. Put that ox, that, that arc on there, and they start down the road with that brand new cart. And the ark kind of rocks, and Uzzah puts forth his hand to steady it, and God smites him dead. Now why? Because they were not to put the ark on a cart. The priests were to take stays, which were poles, and put it through the rings on the sides of the ark and carry it. Nobody was to touch it. You know, after that happened, they took it aside into another house. And uh, later on, David brings it up after he figures out, you know what, we didn't do it right. The priests are to carry it. 
and God honored that. So, so we must have good singing. Number four, surround yourself with good friends. Proverbs 27, this is very important with young people. It's very important with, with adults too. By the way, parents need to pick your children's friends. <clears throat> you decide many times uh, who your children's friends are by where you go to church. Proverbs 27, 5 and 6 says this. Right verse. Um, Open rebuke is better than secret love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Um, not sure that's the right verse, but First Corinthians fifteen thirty three says, "Evil communications corrupt good manners." Proverbs thirteen twenty. Proverbs thirteen twenty says, "He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but but a companion of fools shall be." destroyed the old saying is you are known by the company you keep you get like those you hang around with companion of fools shall be destroyed you know, there's a story in 2nd Samuel about a son of David by the name of Amnon Amnon had an evil desire. He wanted his sister Tamar. And the Bible says that Amnon had a, had a very subtle friend. And his subtle friend cooked for him a plot how to get what he wanted, and it brought Amnon's death. That was the result of it. Now, would you call that a faithful friend? No. No, a, you know, a faithful friend will wound you. In other words, he'll instruct you or he'll correct you when you are going wrong. You know, evil communication. So we need to surround yourself with good friends. Uh, make sure your friends love the Lord and desire to do what's right and to please the Lord in all things. And then... Number five, systematic church attendance. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. <clears throat> Verse 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now I read part of our church covenant, and I'm going to read part of it again, where it says, Therefore we covenant by the aid of the Holy Spirit to walk together in Christian love, to strive for the advancement of this church in knowledge, holiness, and the propagation of the faith, to promote its um, spiritual growth through obedience to Scripture, to sustain its worship, ordinances, discipline, and doctrines, to contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, and the relief of the needy within its membership, and the spread of the gospel throughout all nations. And then in, uh, in the fourth paragraph it says this, Moreover, we covenant to watch over one another in brotherly love, to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, to remember one another in prayer, to aid one another in sickness and distress, to call about Christian love, kindness, and tenderheartedness toward one another, 
to exhort one another unto good works to demonstrate Christian courtesy and speech, be slow to take offense, but always ready for reconciliation, being mindful of the command of our Savior to secure it without delay. Furthermore, we acknowledge that this covenant is not just a ceremonial statement, but a binding agreement upon those who join this church, and that failure to keep the covenant is grounds for disciplinary action or removal from the church membership. So our passage here says in Hebrews 10, 25, not let us consider one another, I'm sorry, verse 24, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some is, uh, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. So systematic church attendance, being faithful in church attendance. There's two, two reasons for this. We're to stir up one another, provoke, provoke. You know, I was talking to a relative of mine who's been out of a church for quite a long time. And, uh, and he said this. He said, I wouldn't recommend that for anybody. He said, because sometimes you need someone, a pastor or a fellow church member to say, hey, did you think about this? Do you consider this? To provoke, to exhort, you know, to challenge one another. Proverbs 27, 17 says, Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. You know, sometimes, you know, being a member of a church gives us that, that privilege or that opportunity when, when we may, as, in, as an individual, think we're doing right when maybe we don't see things right. And somebody come alongside and hey, say, hey, did you, you ever think about this? Hey, Brother Robert, do you ever, you ever think about this? Brother Hoy, you ever think about this? Or, Pastor, are you sure? That's the right direction to take. By the way, you know, you keep me sharp. Uh, you know, we are to, we talk, are to exhort and to provoke unto love and good works. That means we're to stir up, to challenge one another. The word exhort means to urge by arguments, advice, or to warn, or to stimulate. And so many times, you know, especially when the word of God is preached or expounded or explained, we're, we're challenged, we're encouraged to grow, to change. Um, you know, the, the Bible says that in Timothy, the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. You know, one of the things we do was when, when we go home, Sunday lunch, we have roast Sunday school teacher. No, not really. But we go around the table and say, okay, you tell us what your Sunday school lesson was about, and you tell us what yours was about, and you tell us what yours was about. No, we don't roast them. No, we, we want to know, or we are interested in what did you learn today from your Sunday school class? You see, we ought to be challenging one another. Um, that, that does two things. That does two things. Uh, 
you know, it, it helps us as parents to know, are our kids listening? And are they discerning or understanding what's being taught? Um, so, so we need, we need, it's, you know, it's vitally important that we are faithful in church attendance. Um, you know, I'm, I'm more and more convinced of this for two reasons. Number one, the Bible commands it. And number two, experience has shown that failure to do so will bring disaster. I'm sure you've probably heard the, the illustration of the, the pastor who went to see a guy who had quit coming to church or was not faithful, and he said uh, they sit there for a while and not talking, and there was a fire in the fireplace, and and he, he began to make excuses as to why he wasn't there on Sunday, and the pastor didn't say anything. He just got up and pulled a log, separated one log away from all the rest. You know what happened to the log? The log by itself started to go at it. He said, Pastor, I get the message. I get the message. Um, in fact, verse 26 says, For if we sin willfully after we receive the knowledge of truth, there remaineth no more sacrifices for sins, but a certain Certain fearful looking for judgment and fire indignation which should devour the adversaries. And it talks about a man who was caught picking up sticks on the Sabbath day, knowing it was wrong, knowing he shouldn't have been, but did it anyway, and took him out and stoned him. So if we reject God's commands about church attendance, there will be consequences. Um, you see, we need to maintain. If we're going to walk with the Lord, we have to maintain these things in our Christian life. And like I said at the beginning, these are basics. But these are fundamental to my success and your success as a child of God and your, relationship, your fellowship with the Lord. Um, and so, might God help us might God help us to walk with the Lord, but might God help us to maintain these things. A study of his word, time in prayer, a good singing, good music, uh, surround ourselves with the right kind of friends, and then faithful church attendance, as God has commanded us in his word. You know, somebody has said, I think it was Bob Jones Sr. that said, that out of the will of God, there's no such thing as success. In the will of God, there cannot be any failures. You know, these things are the will of God that we do them. But the only time success comes before work, it's in the dictionary. So we have to maintain. We have to put forth some effort. Um, Philippians tells us in Philippians 2, 12 and 13, uh, is God worketh in you. We must, God works in us, but we must put it in and allow him to work it out. So might God help us to maintain our walk with the Lord.
Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the time in your word tonight. Thank you for the challenge that it gives to us. And Father, these basic things, principles, but help us to be faithful in applying them to the daily routine of life. So Lord, just pray that you just help us to see the importance of these things, that we might be faithful in this year that you've given to us. And as you tarry, as we serve you, we pray in Jesus' name.